And even if you're thinking about the move, how long might it be before you actually take that leap? Because depending on your age bracket, depends on how many different aspects you have to get sorted. I mean, if you're a graduate, moving is second nature. They can pack their bags and get on the train and they're gone. You know, whereas if you've got a young family, there's many things that need to be sorted. There's school, there's childcare, you know, education services, community services that are going to be really important to that decision. So do I feel like uh, we're at the precipice of change? Yeah, I do. And we see that regions uh, will be the beneficiary of this transformation. And we know that if we miss this opportunity now, it's probably going to be a very long time before it arises again. Hi, I'm Renata Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. Today is mid-July in Melbourne, and I had the opportunity to catch up with my friend Liz Ritchie. Liz and I... Uh, worked together at CEDA, the Committee for Economic Development of Australia, many years ago, and that's how we met, and we've been in touch ever since. Liz Ritchie is now the CEO of the Regional Australia Institute, and you may have heard of her if you are based in Australia because she's all over the news. She's been interviewed many times over since COVID started because all of a sudden we are all thinking about moving to regional Australia. And if you are overseas, maybe that's a trend that's also happening in your country. We really don't need to be based in metropolitan areas anymore if we're going to be working from home. There could be a reason for you to want to move interstate or move somewhere closer to your parents or your family and friends, or just have a more relaxed lifestyle or a more affordable lifestyle. There are many reasons why you would want to get away from metropolitan areas and into regional areas. And Liz is milking it for all it's worth. This is a job that's made for her. She is a regional girl. She was born and raised in regional New South Wales. And she will tell you a little bit about her beginnings in the um, beginning of this podcast. But after she uh, moved to Melbourne, she had a wonderful career working not only for CEDA, where we both worked and loved the work that we do. It's a wonderful think tank and a great MBA and way of meeting lots of people and knowing a lot of different sectors and industries very quickly. She was there for longer than I was and then moved into a major bank in Australia called Westpac, where she was the regional general manager, and then moved to Canberra to work for Regional Australia Institute. So that's just, you know, a snippet of all of the things she's done. You will find her on LinkedIn if you're a bit more curious about Liz's career. Liz is a winner of the Business News 40 Under 40 in WA and she has been recognized many times over for her contributions to business, community, gender diversity. She's an advocate for women in the workforce and has worked relentlessly to support women um, across all of the jobs that she has done. She's a graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors and has a Master of Applied Science in Organizational Dynamics from RMIT as well as a Bachelor of PR from RMIT as well. We'll sh she will tell you a bit about it as well and why she decided to do public relations early on. She also completed the Institute of Executive Leadership and Coaching Certificate back in 2019 and I'm not surprised with that. She's a wonderful leader and I'm sure she does that sort of coaching leadership that is so valuable these days. I think that this is a topic that will resonate with all of our listeners around the world. It might be something that you have the appetite to do right now if you're currently in transition, or it may be something that you could plan and do later on. 
like I am thinking at the moment. My husband and I have always wanted to plan and do something like moving to a regional area uh, later on in life. So stick around and there will be lots of links in the episode show notes for you. To give you an idea, her website, uh, Regional Australia Institute, has an amazing tool that lists lots of different um, areas, regions and towns across Australia and has indexed them for livability. There's a Bohemian index, which I think is fantastic for somebody like my husband. We really need to look at that. But also employment, unemployment, the type of knowledge, skills and number of business owners in different parts of Australia. It's such a great tool. If you are outside of Australia and considering one day coming to Australia to live, there is a migration page uh, for the Australian Regional Institute. And from that page, you might want to join their Facebook group. And I think that that would be a great one if you're overseas and um, you can start communicating and asking questions and observing how migrants have adjusted to living in regional Australia. So lots of interesting links on the episode show notes. So wherever you found this podcast, it has been filmed. So it could be YouTube, but also Spotify, iTunes or my blog. Make sure that you read the blog and the episode show notes to find those great links. So without further ado, here is Liz Ritchie for you. Bye for now. You know, you, I've, you're following me everywhere I look. There you are. Because, uh, <laughs> because you are on ABC and the Herald Sun and the Mamma Mia podcast and everywhere because I think the same way that organizations are having to do those restructures, people that have lost their jobs and even those who mm. haven't, uh, you know, like Andrea and I are thinking, is this the right time for us to mm. do what we always wanted to do or mm. is... Um, and I'm interested in that when you say that's what you always wanted to do, like move out and yes. get that property. I mean, how long has that been an idea in your mind? Well, not as long as it has been in your mind. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was born in my mind, darling. I know. Uh, but, I, but I'm interested. Yes. Can you remember a trigger point? Because yes. that's really interesting data for us as a professional, a family raising, you know, children. There's there's different milestones in a person's life where you know those ideas um, are, are formulated, but actually timing doesn't allow yeah. for that move. Well, my friends and I talk about it all the time. Mm. Oh, music to my ears. Yes. <laughs> My friends who have more money than I do have already started buying property. So those that can afford yeah. to have two properties yeah. have already done so. So they yeah. may have a smaller property in Inner Melbourne. Mm. They sold their bigger property, have a smaller property in Inner Melbourne, and they have mm. a bigger property in Gippsland or Castlemaine or yeah. um, even beyond Castlemaine is too close, but you know mm. what I mean. Um, mm. Some are in the Mornington Peninsula, some are in Phillip Island, some are, you mm. know, around Melbourne, right? So they have already started doing that. Others like me just talk about it all the time <laughs> <laughs> because it will have to be mm. a transition where we sell here and buy there. Yeah, uh, it, I can't have it both ways. Yeah, um, even though we have been, but it's the it's the thing that Melbournians do, Liz. You have to come and sit as an observer into a brunch in Elwood <laughs> or Brighton or anywhere that I go to. We just sit there and we discuss strategies of how dream, we're going dream, to do dream this. of ways to get out. Yes, yes. <laughs> but see, I was that person. And, you know, I actually thought that it was more based on the fact that a lot of my network were also country people and grew up in the country and that, you know, we'd all done that that rite of passage to Melbourne and Sydney, studied, etc. you begin your career. But we were always talking about that as well and most of them, a majority have done it in some way. There's only a few still kind of holding on for various reasons and there's some who will never go back. For them, city life is for them. Um, but what I'm interested mm -hmm. in is, you know, and, and 
I'm interested in people who haven't been raised in regional Australia, what does it take to turn that switch on, to yes. say, you know, what is it that, that you're imagining in your mind? Because this is really important stuff for us um, and, and I'm happy to talk about this. In fact, I realise I think you're already recording, aren't you? But um, I record everything and then we edit it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, um, the, the thing that's really interesting to me is that when we, and I'll talk about the campaign, when we do this, I, I'm actually getting research um, from the, the council members, so the 12 council members getting city-based staff and employees to tell me the answer to these exact questions right. because they're my target market. So, okay. you know, I don't need to convince regional people. Mm. Majority of them will find a way back somewhere, somehow, because it's kind of in their blood and they've got family connections and other connections. Like None I of said, the people that sit with me that... having brunch have family connections. Some are yep. um, migrants like I am. Others yep. are Australians born and raised, mm. but they are from interstate. They might yeah. be from Queensland. They might be from New South Wales and they've landed here, but they don't want to go back to where they came. They just want to go to Castlemaine. Yeah. I have a friend who is obsessed with Castlemaine. And the problem is some are obsessed with um, the west side of Victoria and the mm -hmm. other ones with the north and the other ones with the east. And because we're such good friends, that can't be. We have, no. to, we have to congregate on mm. one of the areas mm. to make it easier for us as we get older. It's just such a... I, I, perhaps I do need to come and sit in one of your brunches because what really interests me is what is it, again, about that imagined construct that it makes the, the east and the west and the north more attractive to each of your... Uh, counterparts because there's something imagined or felt the experience that that's been had because so much of any big moves in life I think is the idea of the you know imagined future how do you see that rolling out and it's and things are never as we you know envisage they might be there'll be elements of that that come true and there'll be elements that are really difficult that you know we we didn't prepare for because you couldn't see that that hindsight is quite frustrating at times. <laughs> Especially with a big move like that. And I mm. wonder if people are romanticizing the idea of moving to countryside. So I, I want to take us sort of in the step-by-step -step kind of yeah. framework that I, I think um, mm. would be <laughs> ideal. Is it for okay to listening. drink my yeah. tea? Well, mm. I'm drinking mine. Look, I have even a bigger cup than yours. Um, so talking about um, uh, things that are ideal and looking at them in hindsight, when I think of the conversations that we used to have back in the day and the job that you have now, I can't think of a better job for you. <laughs> I know. Thank you. And, you know, <laughs> just the combination of being in Canberra and anything to do, anything with the word regional it's just perfect. And I know how much you loved being in Perth and how mm. much you loved working for CEDA. I loved CEDA as well. But this is just so you. So I mm. wanted to ask you, how, how did this happen? Tell us yeah. how you landed there. Tell the listeners who don't know you, you know what, a little bit about your background and how this is such a great role for you. Yeah, thanks, Renata. Well, well, the starting point is that it is a dream role. It's the place that I know I'm meant to be. And that is a really important starting point because it hasn't been easy, like any new leadership role, stepping into an organisation that has a past that that is transitioning or needs to transition. It's it's been quite tough. And so the fact that this is where I know I need to be and my passion is so aligned with the, the organisation's uh, purpose is that I know that if you can push through the hard days, the better days are ahead and that I could not in all, conscience, in all good conscience not be the person to see that change occur. So that's 
possibly the, a good starting point. My background for, for people, for our listeners, is that I'm the youngest of six children from a beautiful family, farming family outside of Deneliquin. Deneliquin's uh, southern New South Wales, just over the border of Achukamoama, probably slightly more famous than Deneliquin, although Deneliquin did become famous uh, for its Deneliquin world record ute muster. So uh, I'll talk about that in a moment. Um, because, yes, yeah, so growing up in a country town, as you can imagine, I live by the saying uh, that it, it takes a village to raise a child because uh, that was very much my upbringing, um, you know, outdoors, creative, lots of lots of sport and recreation, family barbecues, you know, it really was an idyllic upbringing and having five older siblings, four brothers, one sister, teaches you a lot about uh, resilience and standing your ground and standing up for what you believe in and, you know, essentially being able to make sure that you get those um, very important roast lamb seconds ahead of your brothers. Um, so it was, it was really idyllic. Uh, I went to the local primary school, which I loved, and then went to Deneliquin High School up until year 10. And then my parents, we discussed for a number of years whether going away was a, a good option. Some of my siblings had, some hadn't. So it was very much, a, you know, it was my choice. And in the end, for a variety of reasons, you know, we decided that was the right way to go. So I had two years in uh, Melbourne at Caulfield Grammar. Mm -hmm. And that was an extremely important time in my life because not only was I exposed to a much greater, uh, broader world, it really opened my eyes. Caulfield Grammar was also transitioning from being a male-only school to a co-ed. So I was, um, I think I was the third year intake of uh, females to join what was historically a male-only school. So you can imagine that the change that the organisation was going through, the change that the gentlemen were going through, and of course we as the very small percentage of females that were joining the school were also experiencing. Um, but I've reflected on that a lot throughout my career and I think ultimately as a female leader, that experience and that exposure certainly helped me to communicate at all levels, male, female, regardless of age and stage and, and that's also what being part of Deneliquin and that community gave me and so that piece of never being afraid to ask questions, to uh, speak to people who are, you know, much, much older than yourself, to learn all the time, to just have that sense of kind of curiosity. Mm -hmm. uh, so I studied public relations at RMIT, which was a kind of natural step for me as well, I felt. It was either journalism more psychology and I felt like I landed somewhere in the middle with doing public relations and loved that that course and then after university felt that I needed to travel I really had a strong desire to go overseas and explore the world I had a very kind of adventurous I've always had a very adventurous nature and I, I really wanted to do that but it was it was perhaps an, an opportune, out-of-the-blue call from a family friend of mine who was in Deneliquin who had founded the Deneliquin Ute Muster. And this is an incredible story because Deneliquin is an agricultural region and very much, I guess, formed through the success of its agricultural background and... So when a region like that experiences countless droughts, they were, this is back in year two, well, year 2000 at the time, or it's probably the 1999 actually, the drought was significant. And so a group of uh, locals came together to say, what can we do to put Tineliquin on the map and to help our community in a time of drought? And this group of volunteers had a, few different uh, town hall meetings, if you can imagine, 
and through that process of creation and and innovation, the the ideas came forth that Tenelecum was famous for its agricultural background and what was linked to that was utes. And so the idea of holding a Guinness World Record ute muster was formed. Sounds very obscure. But alas, a something you, that has never been is done. A, is a Australian creation as well, isn't it? Yeah. The, the, yeah. the car the was utility. first cre- mm. the utility car was created here by what Ford or um, I, I think Walden. it was Ford. Yeah, that's terrible. I should remember that. I can't remember. Yeah, but okay. yes, and it was very unique to our, I guess, agricultural background because farmers were famous for their variety of utes. Um, so it did work. Like the idea, you could see, you know, the seeds of success in that just initial concept. And then very quickly the the community completely through volunteer effort held the first world record ute muster with a big concert, country music concert, and lo and behold, they had people travel from all over the country. Over 2,000 utes came in the first year and the Guinness World Record was set. It was oh, underway. Okay. Now, listeners, if you don't know what a ute is or if you want to see a picture of the world record, uh, look at the episode show notes. I will certainly find one and um, add there for you. Good, good. (laughs) Or or look up. Just in case. You know, we're listening over 50 countries. So just in case people have no idea what a newt is, um, (sighs) look it up on the episode show notes. All right. Uh, (laughs) Or give me a call. So... (laughs) Uh, The reason that's important is because it was the second year that my family friend who'd been, I think she was the tourism manager of Deneliquin at the time, contacted me and said, Liz, we need to employ a festival director for the second year. So that after success in year one on volunteer effort, they realised they needed to have somebody to lead it. So I was extremely fortunate as a graduate to come home and be the first uh, festival director for the Deniliquin Ute Muster. And it really was life-changing because when you talk about how I ended up where I am today, it really started in that role um, because... That role is not on your LinkedIn it needs to be. It needs it's on my to CV, be. Renata. Can I, can I it's on my that? CV. I talk widely about it um, <laughs> because I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of it. I absolutely loved that role and the people that I worked with, the board, we're a volunteer board, and we had hundreds of volunteers who gave of their time and helped me out in the office and just did whatever they could. And I guess for me it instilled that whole notion of what is possible with a simple idea and human effort and capacity to make a difference. And and though it's that thinking, it's that value set that stayed with me and it just was so inspiring that it sort of propelled my thinking even back then and that's 21 years ago, so I'm going to give away my age. And... I literally back in those days thought this is how I want to live. I want to live regionally and be able to make a difference. We didn't have the the technology anywhere like we have today, Um, but certainly that notion of somehow, somewhere in my future, not only supporting regional development and economic development of regions, but to somehow get back to regional Australia and know that I was going to play a role. So it really did start back um, 21 years ago. Wow. And look, when when I do an intro for this podcast, I'm going to list all of your jobs and your bio and your accomplishments otherwise we're just gonna go on and on forever here but I know such a I, great and story. you know I can talk uh, you know I can talk too long <laughs> and and I remember when uh we used to sit and talk about you know what we wanted to do after Cedar even though we loved Cedar um uh, 
and you used to say you want to go back to you know regional victoria or you want to work in the regions and you want to work in canberra i'm like that job doesn't exist and i didn't tell you that because i you know wanted to be a, a, a supportive friend <laughs> mm. and i was like i don't know what she's talking about it just doesn't seem like it can be done but <sighs> here we all are and i think that that um feeling that we have that I had for you individually as somebody who wanted to work in the regions or for the regions. Um, also, I have to admit, continued on in roles that I had where I could influence policy and I didn't. Mm. Most recently when I was at Monash University, I for a year and a half, went back and forth to Sydney to participate in a project called the National Outlook with CSIRO and a bunch of organizations, including Monash University, looking at the future of Australia, mm. and looking at different scenarios. So it was really about policy levers that you could pull that would generate different outcomes from, for Australia 40 years from now. Mm. And I love that concept of thinking what it is that we're doing now that, and what would that mean? How, how can we do modeling, mathematical modeling, mm. to see what it would mean for urban planning, what it would mean for climate, what it would mean for the way that we use and generate energy and blah, blah, blah. Even though we loved the policy levers that we used to call green and gold, which was go, go regional, when it came time to publish the report, it was watered down because we didn't feel there was appetite politically for us to boost any of that. Mm, now, I say this because this was pre-COVID. Mm. I'm not sure post-COVID if that is still mm. the same, mm. you know? I would I'd love all to see those data, scenarios. Mm. All, all of that data, because the data is much bigger than, what was, than what's in the report. I would pull mm. all of that data back again and say, okay, let's look at this again. Mm. Because remote work and the ability to, and the trust we, we are now building between employers and employees is mm. that we can give them this chance and make life more affordable as well. Affordability mm. is part of the brunch discussion. Uh, it is, it, right. and, it, and it should be, and I'm not surprised. I mean, that's what we hear frequently, that it is about affordability, but it's also about a better lifestyle. I mean, I, you know, we discussed how much we love working at Cedar, and I did, I loved that, but I never got past the commute. I hated the commuting. <laughs> And I just thought this is such a waste of time. And then as the rise of um, our iPhone addiction, uh, you know, I just felt it was really sad that we'd, you know, be jammed in, hundreds of us jammed in on the tram or train, and there would be no interaction, no communication. I mean, I'm one of those frightening people that if you step into a lift with me, you'll end up in a three-minute conversation. And, you know, this is that's what I found so... I guess, foreign about being in the city. It's sort of, you know, the, I'm the person you sit next to on the aeroplane and, you know, you're going to end up in a 20-minute in a conversation because it's that interest of people that comes back to that community upbringing. And, and you know, we're, we live in dangerous times around social isolation and what this is doing record levels of mental health issues, suicides that, that we're seeing, sadly. And where's this all stemming from? I mean, I honestly believe that it's a, it's a lack of community and support that people, you know, are missing in their lives. That, that's no longer, we're, we're running at such a pace that those things that nourish us and, and uh, support our, our own kind of internal systems to keep us healthy, healthy and, and well, we're not spending enough time doing that. And I think a lot of it comes down to what, what I think can occur in that busy, busy, being busy, being busy in these, in these jobs that predominantly, you know, are based in that, that rat race of beautiful Melbourne and Sydney. Don't get me wrong. I love the cities, but 
you, like myself, would, would have many friends and, and many colleagues who share that frustration with me and, and we know it's true. Now, as corporate people, we have always known um, that many of the jobs we have done, maybe not all of them, but mo many of them can be done remotely. Now we are in a situation where they have to be done remotely. Mm. Do you see this translating into more flexibility and potentially different policies that will allow people to make those decisions in their lives? Mm. Um, what I'm trying to say here is, can, we, can people now start moving to country and not regret it? Mm, yeah. Because, you know, they need to make that change knowing that there will be government policy and employers that will want to employ them to work remotely or that they will find work in regional areas. Mm, yeah, absolutely. What do you think? The short answer is that, yes, I think the time is now. However, um, I would, would caution that with, you know, you do need to be prepared. I, 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 you do need to have all, all of your different facets of your life lined up uh, so that uh, you can be well supported in that, in that move. Now, the experience of COVID, as we've discussed, has absolutely fast-tracked and catapulted uh, us as a nation into what we call the future of work. We knew this was here, we just weren't utilising it in the way that perhaps we should or could have been. And so now, and the creation of um, the new initiative that we have through the RAI, which is called the Regional Australia Council 2031, it, the, the idea uh, was formed because I felt that Corporate Australia had a really important role to play here to demonstrate leadership and influence on how corporates and big business could prioritise regional Australia. Now, this, you know, this seed of an idea I've had for probably two years and really it's just been quite slow to build and, in fact, the timing of COVID only played into that. So if there is an upside, it has been that. That's not to downplay the, the devastation that the pandemic has obviously caused. And so I'm very heartened by the members that we do have and what I'm hearing from them. All of them are currently uh, and regularly putting out staff surveys to get a better understanding of what it is that, that their staff want um, and how has this worked for them, how has flexibility impacted their lives, their work, and the consistent and overwhelming answer is people want more flexibility. They want more opportunity to work from home. That's the first step. The percentage of those people who've taken the next step the way that you have and have started dreaming about, okay, does that mean I can work from regional Australia? Um, we don't have that data yet, but this is what I'm about to work with with my council. So we are uh, actively designing the survey that we're going to uh, work with my 12 members. And that is going to give us some very rich insights into an employee base that is traditionally city-based, traditionally CBD-based. It will have a broad range of demographics and we're going to get that true insight as to, well, what are you thinking and what would it take for you to move? And even if you're thinking about the move, how long might it be before you actually take that leap? What are the things you think you need to get organised? Because depending on your age bracket depends on how, um, how many different aspects you have to get sorted. I mean, if you're a graduate, moving is second nature. They can pack their bags and get on the train and they're gone, you know, whereas if you've got a young family, there's many things that need to be sorted. There's school, there's childcare, um, there's support, there's a whole range of health and, you know, education services, community services that are going to be really important to that decision. So 
Do I feel like uh, we're at the precipice of change? Yeah, I do. It's really, it's really a very exciting time and we see that regions uh, will be the beneficiary of this transformation and we know that if we miss this opportunity now, it's probably going to be a very long time before it arises again. And so, so that's the corporate sector. To talk about government, that's been interesting as well. Government for a long time have had what, what's better known as a decentralisation policy um, with some mixed success. So this is essentially for listeners around the world that, that aren't familiar with Australia's decentralisation policy. It was very much looking at government moving government agencies out to regional locations to offer better employment and and hopefully to align, I guess, some of the priorities of those departments, um, such as Department of Ag or regional departments, to their constituents to be closer to, to the thinking. So, you know, rationally, there's a lot that makes sense about that. But the practicalities of moving um, people that don't want to be moved are really difficult. Just because they work for the particular department doesn't mean they have an innate passion the way that I may have to live and work in regional Australia. So the issue with the, with the government decentralisation policy is that if you're a person that that's what you dreamt of doing, fantastic. But if you weren't, it, it meant um, enormous upheaval for that department uh, to to recruit or for all the the roles that that needed to be replaced and for the people who didn't want to move because they were displaced and had to find new employment so the issue with the government decentralization policy from my perspective is it, it removes choice and I think that if we're going to be successful in a new policy that we don't call decentralisation, we're calling it regionalisation. This is about people, the people having choice, whether they work for government agencies or whether they work for corporate or small to medium, whether they run their own business. We want people to have a choice about where they're choosing to live and work and raise their family. And so it totally turns that policy on its head Mm. and enables a really different way to think about what our nation might look like. Yes, yes. Um, when I when I think about what we're going through in Australia, I often wonder, and I haven't had time to do research on this, I, I wonder if this is a, an international trend and other countries like Australia, maybe Canada, you know, countries with big open plan <laughs> areas that haven't really seen a lot of regionalization in the past, if that's a trend that they're seeing as well. Mm. Have you been watching this space? And where, if, if there is a best practice out there that we can emulate here? Yeah, I know. I don't, I don't have that information firsthand. I'm sure my colleague, um, my chief economist, Kim, would actually have. So perhaps I can come back to you with that, that answer. But anecdotally, I can speak to it because you only need to look at the way, you know, I've got friends and colleagues who, and myself, I've worked out of London, uh, I've worked out of uh, Europe. I mean, they operate very differently. And if you think about global companies, I mean, I could use the example of Expedia Group who are in my council, so they won't mind me sharing the story. Uh, their head of corporate affairs and, and brand is based out of Singapore. She rarely goes to an office. That's where she's worked from well before COVID uh, because they work on international timeframes and so they're constantly having to schedule their lives flexibly so that they can manage meetings globally to ensure that you're getting the footprint um, getting that global footprint to have the appropriate people in meetings. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you think about, you know, what we're proposing here, it, it's not like it isn't being done globally. It's just unbundling these traditional constructs that we've had about work mm -hmm. uh, and what work looks like. Um, this notion of presenteeism has been dominating, um, dominating our employment 
and and our psyche in many respects and so it's really an opportunity to kind of break that down and so if you look globally and internationally I think we'll be pleasantly surprised I mean I know even from my time working in London that many of the people that I worked with would be living regionally and they would be commuting in some of them an hour hour and a half each way and they did that happily because they loved that lifestyle. And so, you know, it takes us into another conversation about connectivity. And so previous um, previous iterations of this conversation about how do you grow regions has always been somewhat held back by the fact that we don't have fast rail and that we don't perhaps have the train network that's you know, it's so accessible in Europe and, and other countries. Uh, and there's a variety of reasons why we don't have that. And there's probably a good case to think about uh, starting to enhance that um, transport capacity. But what we're proposing now doesn't have to be held back by any settings. We can do this right now. And that's what's really exciting. We don't need to wait for government to support this. And this is what I'm saying to my council. Yes, we're working with governments and we always do. We're working hand in hand to ensure that there will be ways that government will need to support this. But let's be that kind of first leader and say we can do this differently. I mean, we're actually working through the council at the moment uh, to develop equal opportunity, um, sorry, an employer of choice for regional mm-hmm. Australia. Mm-hmm. And I've got this on the table for our next meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, I see this as a very important lever to put regional in the minds of corporate leaders. Yeah. In the same way, and you'll appreciate this from our working time at Cedar, where women in leadership and the agenda, the gender agenda, what what we saw in the, that ten year period when we were working at Cedar, has was really formational in my thinking about what we could do with regional. And there's many parallels if you think about, you know, the barriers that women have had around securing flexible enough work, securing the levels of trust that they desire to to try to find that balance with their children and their careers. Mm -hmm. This is no different, really. Offering the the regional support is is really using many of those um, internal policy settings that are already there just underutilised, significantly underutilised. Yeah. And and if you get into these organisations, what we need to understand is where's the blockage? Because we know with gender, it often came down to a person's manager. So it might have been um, very well supported internally and externally at CEO level and executive level. And then as you cascade down through organisations, there were blockages. So this will be no different. So what we need is CEOs around the country, around the world, to step up here and say there's a different way to run your business that will have a lot of benefits to your business um, and we need to cascade that thinking and and make sure that it can be permeated through those organisations and through government agencies. Yes, because you're right. And people don't want to have to make this choice between their careers and their lifestyle. No, and nor should they. Those <laughs> two can be um, done and, and matching um, if, if possible. At the beginning of this podcast, it was episode eight, we interviewed Alistair Freeman, who I had never met before, but he posted on on LinkedIn and the post he did went viral and I found it and I'm like, I need to interview this guy. And it was basically relating his experience having been made redundant from NAV and how how that happened and how he felt and what happened next and the post was so beautifully written and so positive and so philosophical Mm. so it's not a great experience you know to have been made redundant but he had very good things to say about NAB and how they did it in a very um, positive way and he had the opportunity with his partner to decide what they wanted to do next and what they wanted to do next is to move out of Melbourne 
So he had the time to look for work regionally and move to North New South Wales. And he found a job with a local employer there. And I'm assuming that that was excellent for the employer to have somebody with that, you know, banking and finance experience and um, introduce something fresh and new to their uh, local business. So that's great. But do you think that uh, is there always an appetite from the local communities to welcome people coming in? I say this because I travel to regional Victoria quite a lot, to regional everywhere quite a lot. I go to, yeah. you know, anywhere from, you know. Margaret because you're canvassing your dream, Renata. That's I why. But it's really funny when you walk into a pub. <sighs> You know that feeling? You walk into a pub yeah. and it's like you're in a movie. Mm, <laughs> Everybody yeah. looks at you, right? Who are these people? <laughs> oh, then, oh, they could be just admiring, you know, your beautiful face and, and uh, eclectic outfit. <laughs> Often it's that, oh, we know they're not local. <laughs> they're not locals. They're definitely not locals. And it's lovely, you know, and eventually we chat and we we, we get together and talk. But... There's that awkwardness. You know you're going to be scrutinized and you're not really sure if you're that welcome, you know? Yeah. So oh, look, it's a good question. I think, again, you know, what's, what's exciting about regional Australia is also terrifying and that's the diversity. So you've got tiny, tiny towns we call heartland regions and then you've got your beautiful regional cities and then you've got everything in between. And your, that experience and that story you've just told will be different regardless of which, uh, you know, depending on which town you're entering or, or regional city. Um, look, I mean, of course, different communities have their own social fabric and of course it's no different to starting in a new organization or moving into a new neighborhood moving cities um you know the experience of trying to find people that you connect with will be no different to moving um you know in, in melbourne to to Mordialic where you are and trying to find that tribe that that you know you feel you uh, have that connection with i guess you know it, it's it's what you put in is what you what you get generally in in anything in life and so knowing you renata there may have been a sideward glance but by the end of it you they were probably buying you a drink and you know you were talking about when you might visit next time yeah. so it really it's personality driven yeah. i think a lot of these things i mean i'm an extrovert like you and but my partner is an introvert and the idea of going up and talking to a stranger which I do regularly he just stands back and and just has the jitters um but you know that's his personality and so he's very lucky that I I'm happy to be the front woman <laughs> oh well no I am actually the introvert in our relationship I'm a closeted introvert you think okay. I'm an extrovert I'm probably not so that's quite interesting because of where I've seen you in your work but that's yeah. that's often common as well we oh no be... when we go out Andrea is the one who's the superstar every I, I just need to sit and watch yeah I just need to oh that's <laughs> gorgeous watch and laugh <laughs> yeah that's gorgeous but we we think you know I, I think that it's important to to talk about that because we romanticize this idea of moving to mm. country towns and it takes a while to to get yourself um, involved in the community and it can be quite lonely. And it's the same with every move if you're moving countries mm. as well. I've noticed that with your team, you have somebody that is, um, I, forget, I forget the title, but she is regional and migration as well. Mm. Yes. Can you explain the sort of work that you do mm. Um, mm. involving migrants in regional Australia? Yes, yeah. Look, um, so the RAI uh, is a think tank and a piece of work that uh, was developed a couple of years ago, so under my predecessor, found that through migration and largely secondary mig migration, a number of small, quite small regional communities were able to tap into not only new labour, 
but to uh, welcome migrants to a community and provide them with really essentially a whole new life. Um, and this, I guess the way this was framed throughout our lens and our thinking is this is really a powerful demonstration of what a locally led uh, migration strategy can, can do. And, you know, there's, there's many um, wonderful examples. Uh, Neil's probably one of the most famous, the Lover Duck uh, business there. I was thinking and, of them. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's probably one of the more famous uh, stories. Okay. But, but ultimately, um, you know, these regional towns, and these are very tiny, tiny regional towns. So when I talk about that diversity, some of these towns uh, have been seeing net outflow of population right. for a variety of reasons. And so for any business, regardless of what, what line of um, what sector you are in, yes. getting appropriate labour was restricting their ability to grow and to scale up. And so, you know, again, through some entrepreneurial thinking, realised that there's a whole community, a migrant community, who potentially don't love living in our large cities, perhaps migrated from regional areas of their own countries, and the opportunity to raise their family and work in a regional area ticks a lot of boxes. Mm. Um, Now, it's not... A quick process, it really does take very strong uh, local leadership and the demonstration of Neil is just a wonderful um, example of what's possible, uh, that local champion leading that change and, yes. so and doing it with to, a lot of volunteer effort. Yeah, well, I'm going to quickly explain that Neil is a, is a town in regional Victoria and Loverduck is a company in that town that hired uh, migrants to work for them and it worked really well. And I'm going to find a news article about it and link it in the episode show notes so that you can see how it was done. We've got a narrative. Very famous story here in in Australia. Mm. It can link to the narrative I can give you. Mm. You know, there is an abattoir here in Victoria that hired over 60 Brazilian butchers at one stage. No, I didn't know that, but I'm not surprised um, because, you know, we worked with the meat industry Quite, quite a lot. And, and you know, there's so... We actually launched uh, last year the Steps to Settlement Success um, because there are so many benefits for communities to actually take this opportunity. And, and it benefits both ways. As I said, you've got that... The, the migrants sitting in, in Melbourne, perhaps not working in areas that they're, they're loving or maybe find it difficult to even access work and, and being isolated if they don't have vehicles and depending on where they're living, it's, it's quite expensive. Uh, so the, the opportunity to move out to regions is also an affordable choice for, for often larger families. What we see in a lot of migrant families are large families. Um, and so having that opportunity to be part of a community and the cultural dimension that they bring, I mean, you know, to your previous question about feeling as if it might be hard to connect, the stories that we've showcased uh, through our migration narratives, and we've got eight of them on our website if you wanted to draw your listeners to that. Okay, we'll do. Um, we, time and time again, every example, you've seen the community with warm and open arms to welcome the the migrants because they see and understand the benefits of you know, bringing their population, bringing population back to their region, but diversifying their population, building that sense of um, cohesion, uh, building a new future. It's different to their their history, but it's creating a new um, way of of their town uh, thinking about themselves, like the, the way that they've um, lived in the past is, is not the way the town functions into the future. So uh, ensuring that you've got that diversity of culture is creating 
sense of vitality really and and a great opportunity to learn from one another and so there's beautiful stories about those experiences um so it's something that my migration director has spent 12 months as part of her role working around the country um prior to covid she was traveling a lot uh working with local governments and regional groups um to help them build locally led migration strategies and help them actually create the the um framework to make that possible yes and it's something that we're very passionate about at the regions at here at the institute yeah i'm going to link that and i'm also going to link the report i saw from your chief economist on the quarter 2 information about jobs in regional australia i thought that was really interesting so i'm going to link that as well There yeah. anything else you would like to say to the listeners before we wrap up? Mm, we've had a wide-ranging conversation. Yeah. I think what I would say about employment, um one of the things that we seek to do at the institute is bust myths and in the time that I've been uh with the institute which is coming up to two years, <laughs> nearly two and a half actually, we have been very successful at educating our constituents and politicians and any stakeholder about the opportunities for work in regional australia and this was not well known i think like the same um perception that people have that about population leaving the regions which we've also busted um work was the same there was this perception that there are no opportunities in regional australia and if you choose to make that move uh you will be taking a backward step So what our work has proven is that in a pre-covid environment at any given time there was somewhere between 40 to 50,000 depending on which quarter you were in um vacancies advertised. Now what we know because we're out there on the ground a lot is that what you see advertised would only be 50% of what is available so really at any given time you could easily say that there would be in the order of at least 100,000 job vacancies in regional australia and what's exciting about those job vacancies is yes they're a mixture of you know low medium and high skill base but predominantly they are high skill base and what i mean by that is there are wonderful salaries that are possibly equal to the salaries that people are uh enjoying in in our uh, metropolitan cities that are available to them now some of them mean that you need to move further afield and the like uh, or have traditionally but uh if we're successful in our campaign to move more people to regional australia location will become less of a factor and actually our work um and the way we work will um will be transformed forevermore we hope so that's a really important thing to understand about the opportunities for regional moving living oh, thank you for that that is a myth buster for sure mm. that that will be people will be listening to this and going okay i had no idea here i am trying to find a job in richmond i could be looking for work in aubrey and it would be fine yeah absolutely and i think um you know the the oh, lost my train of thought sorry renata i was going to say <laughs> something um what was i going to tell you oh no the scenarios yeah. so uh so it was late august last year we launched a report called regional population growth are we ready and it did a range of scenarios which talked about um the need for australia to think differently about its population policy and 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 our settlement patterns and in that report we actually looked at the difference between salaries uh, metro based and regionally based and it does vary depending on what state you're in um but the greatest differential was no more than 10%. So even if in the worst case scenario you looked at a 10% um drop salary decrease that is very quickly made up by the cost of living and the fact that your house will be, you know, if not 50% less in some cases, you know, even cheaper again. Yeah. And so as part of that 
that report, um, which may also be of interest to your listeners, uh, we also launched what we called the MOVE tool. And this tool is basically looking at every local government area in Australia providing the average income, average house price and average number of years to pay it off. So you can have a lot of fun with this tool. Um, obviously, if you're comparing, uh, you know, metropolitan house prices with the house prices in Castle, Maine, you're going to see quite a differential. And very quickly, you know, we see it as being one of those tools that people can use when they are starting to think about where might I like to move to. Absolutely. I can't, I can't believe we left this for the very end. <laughs> oh, the juicy bits. You know, look at this. Oh, well, we'll download the move that. right away. <laughs> yes, we'll share that with you. Thank you, Liz. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you and seeing your face again next time. I know. It's my pleasure. It's so lovely to talk. We need like half a day, and um, Renata, because I don't think we got through half of it, darling. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I hope you found this episode useful and that it helps your job hunting and career plans. Don't forget to subscribe and follow me on social media and on your favorite podcast app. And please join the Reset Your Career community so I can send you free tools and resources to make your career advancement more successful. See you next time!